What's going on, everybody? This is uh, James Grandmaster Facts Voice, and this is another edition of the Facts Project, uh, basically where we're intertwining a little bit of nerd culture, a little bit of geek culture, as far as how it intertwines in everybody's life. And my guest today is a very good friend. I appreciate this man for doing this so much, my man, Ross Schwartzman, a.k.a. DJ Ross One. All right, Rock hey. Nation DJ, Scam Artist DJ, my man. Thank you, brother. Yeah, No problem, of course. Good to be here. Absolutely. So me and you go a ways back <laughs> for people that don't really know, I, you know, I used to manage a uh, manage a nightclub in Atlantic city for about like 10 years and you were one of the residents. And this is, this is beyond cool. Cause like, I, I feel as though, you know, you're one of those people who take the job extremely seriously to the point where, you know, when you come in, you're coming in there to DJ, you don't really come in there to bullshit. You're just pretty much there to, do what's right for the party, execute, yeah, yeah, and get going. <laughs> you know, so I yeah. feel, I feel Definitely. as though that's perfect, man. So, um, first and foremost, how long have you been DJing? Well, I got my first turntable and a mixer, only one turntable for my 16th birthday. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then I was just you know bedroom DJ, kind of messing around. I had bad equipment, and then. When I went to college, I got a little bit more serious, started throwing house parties and started DJing at bars and things like that. Uh-huh. And then when I moved, that was in Rochester, New York, where I went to college. And then I moved to New York City and slowly started doing, you know, the same thing, more bars and working my way up and got a couple of lucky breaks. Yeah. That put me in, uh, in some clubs, you know, and put me in front of people who, um, you know, gave me a lot of opportunities. So I just, you know, it was just kind of a classic story, just grinding it out. You know, it took a long time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, get to a point where I was working regularly, you know. Yeah, and, you, and you, you're from Cincinnati. Originally from Cincinnati. Originally from Cincinnati. Now you had a big period of your life in Miami when Live First basically came online, correct? <clears throat> Even before that, it was probably around 2000. I'm going to guess around 2005. Um, again, from sort of working my way up, I, I met a few, a few people who. Um, in New York from Miami who wanted to give me a shot down there. And they gave me a great opportunity to DJ like a store opening. And uh, I did the nightclub that night, which was at the time Privé oh, okay. and Opium and Mansion. And it was all, they, they kind of ran the beach at that time. Um, and the owner really liked the set. He liked, I think my vibe with the guys who brought me down, the promoters, and it just felt like a good fit. So he brought me down a couple more times and then made me an offer that was basically like, I want you to work four nights a week at my clubs, mm-hmm. but you got to move here. You can't live in New York anymore. And I mean, I loved being in New York. New York was, is, was home to me. So right. it was a tough decision, but it was a, you know, business decision for me. And, um, and it worked out and, and I, I was still in New York all the time. And, you know, even when I was in Miami, I was in New York pretty much constantly. And right. then I ended up back up there, um, 
a few years later, but I did, I, I had a place in Miami and I was there for a few years solid during really great years of Miami nightlife. Damn. Oh man. It was good. We started some really fun parties and I DJed some, some really legendary clubs and like live did open during that period when I was down there. Yeah. Um, but there were a ton of really amazing clubs and parties. Um, but yeah, I was there opening night of live, you know, now, now, for somebody that basically has accumulated as much music as you've had, and I, I can tell by like basically the, the shelf that you have in the back that that's only a portion of what you have as far as a collection is concerned, oh, yeah, yeah. as far as vinyl, as far as your hard drives, anything that you pull from a record pool or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But the how far does the collection go? Like, like when you're like the intricacies of the music that you basically stored and made into libraries. And, and, and the fact is you're a collector. So it's yeah. like, is there anything out of the limits of what you're able to store in your collection? Or are you just using anything? No, no. I mean, when I first started DJing, I, I didn't have any, I didn't want to be a club DJ. I was really into, um, I was just a really big hip hop fan. And right. then, at some point I heard someone in Cincinnati uh, DJing like breaks, basically playing like original samples and doubling it up. And that really opened my eyes and right away it clicked like, okay, I want to get into this stuff that sort of the, the samples and the, you know, the, the breaks that hip hop came from. I, okay. I really got into that kind of tracking down all those original records. So it was a lot of funk and soul and jazz and just spending a lot of time in the record store. And then when I went to college, I worked at, both the record stores in town and I just spent, you know, I mean, you get into nerd culture, like the ultimate is literally when you live in the record store and it's just all day, yeah. pretty much all you care about. I was working, just working for trade credit. You know what I mean? You put in those hours and you basically are spending your whole income. I was just records. about to ask you that. I was like, did you get paid actual money or did you get paid in records? <laughs> I think maybe one of the record stores paid me occasionally, but the whole reason I was there was just to get, first dibs and then uh and then to get paid in you know i was so happy getting paid in credit and at that time i was living so cheap you know mm-hmm. you in college it was just like you know five five dudes in a in a beat up house so mm-hmm. there was no expenses so you know any free time i had would go towards you know finding records so as far as like taking all the vinyls the 45s and everything like that were you able to like accumulate samples and basically throw them on an mp and try the samples out yourself did you try your hand at producing or were you just yeah i mean i've been producing more lately but i always bought i always tracked down records to um with the intention of of producing and i I did a lot of djing for like b-boy battles and breakdown stuff so i was looking for that kind of for up-tempo drum breaks and stuff like that. And I always bought records if it had a good loop on it. I was never uh, really focused enough to really dive into production in that way. And and also I just, it just felt like a, a whole different universe from what I was doing. Uh-huh. But, but recently I've been going back through my record collection. When I moved, I did a big, I moved from New York to LA and I did a big purge and got rid of like probably half my records, but I organized what I kept and really went through it and pulled a lot of samples and i've been working with that stuff so it's been really good right i saw a lot of good records i mean I, I my collection in anything i collect i try my motto is you know all killer no filler mm-hmm. i don't want to have like a lot of junk in there you know right. i just kind of want to you know get get sort of the top tier of what i'm looking for 
Mm-hmm. Um, with music, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean the rarest or the most valuable records. That just means the things that I like the most or the songs that mean the most to me. But but try not to have a lot of just extra stuff laying around. That being said, there's probably, you know, 7,000 records or something like that. So there's a lot of stuff laying around, but. Right. So you're not. It's as, been worse. So you're not. As, so you're not a hoarder. <laughs> you're not a hoarder whatsoever. I mean. Yeah, hor- <laughs> yeah, that's always a conversation. Like I'm not. I think everything that I collect has has value. Right. You know, it's not just like I'm not collecting scraps of paper. Well, I am collecting scraps of paper, <laughs> but I'm not collecting just like trash. Like, you know, like one of my collections that I had for many years was this boombox collection. I, and uh, I was going to get over to the that. years. Nope. Oh, well, we can get into it, but yeah. But but people would say like you're a hoarder. You're you're what are you doing? Like, what are you, what are you doing with all these radios? You know, they're in storage, they take up so much space. And then fast forward 20 years and, you know, they're in Sotheby's and I'm selling it as yeah. a, as a legitimate complete collection, you know? Yeah. And so I, that's sort of the mentality that I enter collecting with. And I come from, my mom is a collector, my grandma, they're all from Minnesota. Okay. And and their whole life is about antiques. Their, their free time when it wasn't, you know, being out in nature it was going to antique fairs, antique stores and buying like, you know, antique pottery and, and up there is fishing decoys and duck decoys and all kinds of stuff. So my grandma's house was like a museum of this stuff. My mom mm. had an amazing collection. So it was just in my blood. And I kind of, from an early age understood, I think the mentality of collecting, but not, not just hoarding, you know what I mean? Like yeah. collecting with a big, kind of a purpose. That's what's up, man. Now, now, now yeah, yeah. T- tell tell me about the wall of boom. Like, how did that start? And, and what we're talking about is this collection of boom boxes that you basically constructed among yeah. your collection, built into a wall, and it was sold on auction at Sotheby's, like just recently. Yep. Correct? Yeah. Ever since I was a kid, I, I always loved boom boxes. You know, I was really just into hip hop, mm-hmm. and, and being in Ohio, the access was really limited. So I always wanted these classic radios that I saw on album covers and in videos on TV. But by that point, it was already kind of the early 90s. They were already hard to find regardless, right. the good ones. And and I didn't know where to find them in, in Cincinnati. I was always looking and I could never find them. I'd always check the flea markets and all that. But the ones that I wanted, I couldn't find. So you know, as time passed, eBay came around, the internet started, you know, becoming a more of a thing for, for digging for stuff. I, I would just keep an eye out and I started picking them up really early. Um, and they weren't very expensive and, you know, you get, I bought one or two and then, and then you start learning about, you know, what you don't have. And before I knew it, it was like 30 radios. And, um, I haven't, you know, I didn't buy a radio for the last 10 years plus, mm-hmm. you know, this was an old collection that was a headache because it traveled with me. So I took it from, you know, New York, Rochester to New York city, down to Miami, a bunch of it and right. then brought it back to New York city and then brought it out here to LA. And in the last move, when I brought them all from LA, me and my wife, I mean, my, my wife thought the collection was really cool. So she, you know, she was conflicted too, but I was like, I got to do something with these. Like, right. It's, it's, it's too stressful moving them. It gives me anxiety. They're just going to go in storage. Uh-huh. So I came up with a with an idea to kind of show them at a gallery, and um, this the gallery out here called Heavyweight. Um, shout out to Tyler it was really cool, and we and I I built the the big wall and and kind of did a full layout and had it had had them all playing through um, an FM transmitter. Uh-huh. So all the radios are tuned to the same station, and then I was basically doing like a pirate radio station that we were playing the music through. Damn. Um, and then Sotheby's had this hip hop auction, 
sort of coincidentally. And, right. um, I knew the people involved in that and they came and checked out the show and, uh, and you know, a year later we got it back. I've shipped it back to New York and then, uh, now it's gone. Now it's in London actually with the wow. new, new owners. Oh, man. but, uh, that was years of just like, what that's what I'm saying. Yeah. This? You know, like all my friends being like, what's wrong with you? Like, what are you doing with all these? They take up so much space. Uh-huh. And, I just knew it was a pretty. I just knew it was a pretty complete collection. Mm-hmm. And over those years, those radios have gotten um, exponentially more valuable. You know, as more people have learned about them, and and kind of hip hop collecting has become a little bit more of a thing. Man, that, that's a that's an amazing story yeah. that you pretty yeah, much yeah. have had that for that long. You finally get the opportunity to put it up and make it into a work of art, and then it pays out. That's how it works, though. You know, for me. Um, I, I can never really force things, but when it feels right and when I can kind of envision it, things, t- you know, doors tend to open and things kind of fall into place. It requires a lot of patience and, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you got to sort of be ready when the time comes and when the motivation hits, but that's kind of been my mentality on most things in my life. You know, I get inspired and, and then I can really see it all the way through and it kind of happens. Now, whatever that is, the, the secret or whatever. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. But <laughs> so, it felt really good. I was also, I was ready to get rid of them and it felt really good to let them go. It was like an exhale. It was like, it's just nice, man. And no store, you know, no every, storage facilities, no more. No storage with everything with COVID too. It's just been nice to kind of downsize, you know, I, yeah. I had an apartment in Miami I got rid of and it just felt, it just feels good to like, to slim down a little <laughs> bit, you know, right, right. right now. Um, and they, they went to a good home and they're going to, I think going to be on display. So it's the best, best thing that could happen. Hey man, at some point in time, you, you're going to be able to see it again. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not worried. Absolutely. I'm so, not worried. So tell me that you did a mix. I'm going to say at the beginning of COVID, what is the fascination that you have with Brazilian music? Oh, uh, I mean, I, I started going to Brazil maybe around 2000 Mm -hmm. and um, just kind of on a whim. I went for like six weeks one winter just to get out of New York. Mm -hmm. Um, And I spent a lot of time there. And at the time I was collecting more American funk and soul records. I didn't really know that much about Brazilian music, but I got really into digging in Brazil and uh, made some really good friends um, down there and kind of the record bit record selling business you know used record vintage record business and yeah. um i learned really fast and and the music is really amazing and it it's um it's really rare and it's really kind of special music and it has a certain quality to it especially when you're finding it in brazil right and you're in that environment and and uh the place has a special place in my heart and the music i think you know always reminds me of brazil and there's some amazing music that comes out of there um it's an amazing, like kind of funky, you know, funk and soul music along with, you know, the Bossa Nova and jet, Brazilian jazz and stuff like that. Yeah. It's all chill um, music. It's, it's, it's chill. Um, I mean, it goes all, all directions. There's a big James Brown influence, you know, uh-huh. the guys who I dealt with, I dealt with a bunch of kind of older record heads and they would throw parties down there. And, and that was a lot about bass music. And um, they liked a lot of American kind of R&B and Miami bass and freestyle and stuff like that. Um, so it was just really cool. And, and there's a, there's a, an appreciation. I didn't really speak the same language as these guys. My of Portuguese course. is terrible. And they didn't speak any English, but we really were able to communicate just about, you know, James Brown records and drum breaks and stuff like that. So, um, 
my, my Brazilian collection is, like I said, it's not a ton of records, you uh-huh. know, but it's, you know, all killer, no fillers. It's a good collection where I can pull any record out, put it on and be happy to hear it. Yeah. It, to, the, to the point where you made an entire mix of strictly Brazilian records for, I think you oh, did yeah. it for like almost like an hour and a half. Oh yeah. I got, I got a lot of Brazilian records like, like that, but I mean, also I would go down and what was great about it was this was, I mean, Brazilian records were rare and, and, you know, there were a lot of Japanese collectors and um, English collectors who would go and, and buy them up. Yeah. The exchange rate was really good at the time for the dollar. Um, I was broke at this time. So, you know, I would go down and, you know, I'd have a little bit of dough to spend on records, but not crazy. So the second trip I took, I brought a big crate of records with me and mm. um, of American records, funk and soul and stuff. And I just started trading. So I was trading <sighs> with the dealers down there. So it, it was just great, you know, and it was great to like leave these records from my collection there and to bring back, you know, the Brazilian stuff. Um, so it was, it was really fun. I ended up going to Brazil. I've been there, you know, a handful of times and it's a great, if you haven't gone, I mean, Rio is, is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Sao Paulo is one of the best city cities in the world, uh-huh. you know, like a real booming metropolis with, with graffiti and all the great things that make a, a cultural city. So, right. um, recommend it so so as far as like record collecting because we, we've all known throughout hip-hop history we've all heard about basically djs all basically garnering up themselves to go to the same exact spot to try to get the records first you've heard those stories from pete rock to dilla to premiere to maceo mm-hmm. from Della soul they, they basically they're just trying to find that record you know and yeah. and, and they'll sit yeah. there for hours like yeah like what what about that whole routine amongst a bunch of djs trying to find perfect music now no they're all producers Mm -hmm. but as far as like just playing those records because i I remember when premiere and pete rock had their versus battles and everything like that it was pretty much a sample battle like it was pretty much music theory for that night you would get the sample and then you would get the pretty much the hit record that that's attached to Yep. So, so how I mean, does how does record record collecting kind of like encompass what it means to be a DJ? Like tasking in all those hours. Well, first of all, those guys are the ones who were kind of the they kind of instructed record collectors like me who mm-hmm. were kids in the nineties. You know, I you know I'd be reading they they did like record series called like Ultimate Breaks and Beats where. Yeah they'd put all these records that got sampled and I would just pick up those records and flip them over and write down every song on it. And that was my digging list, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, Pete rock, Primo, Q-Tip, large professor. These were mm-hmm. all people who, who, you know, informed kids like me. I wouldn't know about half the old music that I know about if it weren't for them introducing it to me. So when you talk about like sampling and, know the downside of sampling or or the original artists think it's stealing music or whatever i just think i wouldn't even know about 85 percent of these artists if it weren't for q-tip sampling them especially the jazz musicians and things like that um but but to what you're saying especially back then before before mp3s and serato and all that i mean digging for records was a huge part of djing you know now it's not um but you had to have the back then you had to have the record if you wanted to play the song in the mm-hmm. club. So 
for me, I was trying to fill out all of my kind of current hip hop stuff and keeping up with what was new and then going back and trying to fill in the gaps of everything I'd missed because I was too young in the eighties, you know, and right. you know, just trying to go backwards and fill in even, even hip hop stuff that had come out two years before was impossible to find you know, in the nineties because hip hop, you know, it, it's just gone, you know, it, yeah, it's like it all got bought it, up. <laughs> it did back then and it was rare. So you, you know, 12 inches could be 25, 30 bucks for, you know, good 12 and stuff like that. Right. So you were just out digging, trying to find stuff for cheap, trying to fill out your collection. And then, um, also just learning and, um, paying attention to liner notes and the sleeves and, and learning about all the different players on all the groups and, and then looking for those players albums, you know, so you'd have a, you look for a Grover Washington record, something yeah. easy that you might find or Bob James. And then you'd look at the back and it would tell you who's playing drums, percussion, keys, whatever, you know? So then you go through and all those names become your new list. Right. And now you keep an eye out for that and, and you start learning about labels and over time you just start to, you know, get all this knowledge. Um, and then you can find a community of other people who are kind of like you who also share that knowledge. And then for me, this was in Ohio and Rochester which yeah. are the stores that like Pete Rock talks about going to when you hear these stories of like Pete Rock going and like buying out an entire record shop worth of yeah. shit. That was like the stores I was working at. Mm. So then you get to New York city and the stores are, are so um, it's like the cream of the crop, like the store, the shop owners, rather than a store in Ohio where like, they're just taking what comes in off the street and sometimes good stuff comes in. You get to those New York city, more specialized shops and they're the ones who are going and, and finding the best stuff and then they're reselling it. And so those stores become like an amazing educational tool because I would go to the shops like sound library and a one and just look at the wall and it was yeah. all records, you know, I don't, I'd never seen before. And then I'd go back to, to Rochester or Cincinnati. And, you know, I had those on my mind at that point. Word. And, and so. see places like that. I mean, I think are like gems as far as their community mm-hmm. is, is concerned. Cause before you could take those records they'd have a record player for you to actually like play. You could put on the headphones and listen oh, yeah. and try to find exactly what you need. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You only can't... At, yeah. Only at the old school style record stores, you know, yeah. they're kind of a dying breed now. So uh, now you don't really have to have a shop. You can kind of sell everything online. You don't have to deal with customers and you don't have to deal with people touching the records and all that stuff. So um, unfortunately a lot of record stores, I mean, records are really popular right now, Yeah, but it's tough to have a record store and pay rent when you don't necessarily have to. It's true. It's true, man. So, uh, but, but uh, yeah, I have a bunch of, you know, record, the record store was home base for a lot of years and anybody who thought DJing was cool or like, you know, now you see like these EDM guys or you see the big DJs and they're kind of celebrities, Back then, being a DJ just meant you were a dork. You were a nerd. You lived in these record stores, and it's like comic books or anything else. You're just soaking it in and just, you know, being a nerd, you know, learning this shit and and collecting and bragging to your friends about stuff that girls don't care about. You know what I mean? Like, none of that stuff was impressing a girl. Yeah. Girls weren't, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? It wasn't like you were cool or anything. You were. Like when you actually bought a record and you actually pretty much went line for line, the producer's credits of every yeah. single song and you'd sit there for hours, like trying to like figure it out. Oh, beat miners did this one. It was like, Oh, evil D oh, did yeah, this yeah. one. Or like something like that. And that, that's, that's yeah. the type of thing that would like figure out. And it, 
you would have these like arguments with kids on the bus and everything and everything like that. We're like, no, it, arguments about producers, not even the artists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, favorite producers for sure. Straight, and they were all DJs for sure. Most of the a, a lot of really good producers are DJs. You know, I mean, I think yeah. it goes hand in hand um, for sure. Yep. So let's yeah. flash back four years ago, uh, 2016. So I remember being in the office. Uh, where I worked over at Borgata and I remember Tara letting, letting us know, be like, Hey, um, Ross wants to do his book release party here at, in Atlantic city. And I was like, he, he got a, what's, what's the book about? And he was like, uh, it's about vintage, vintage rap tees. And I was like, what? I remember like going to my computer and going to look this up and, <laughs> Like trying to like figure out exactly like what what was about to like happen when we did it, and I I remember running back to Tara, who we both know, and I was like, "Fuck yeah, let's do this!" And so and so we we threw a party. You you were DJing that night, and we ended up having copies of this book, Rap Tees, on every single table in the club. Oh, that was amazing. Yeah, that man. was so cool. Yeah, yeah. So you guys were. I mean. I- just to, to sidestep a little bit, I say it all the time. Right. That club and the, the team that worked at Murmur, I'll always say, people ask me what, what are my favorite clubs to play in the world, and that, that club always comes up as, as one of the top because, first of all, the room was just perfect. It was a perfect size club, Yeah. Um, meaning it, it didn't have to be packed for it to be great. Mm-hmm. It also weirdly had like a local clientele that's just so rare in a club like that. Yep. And then you guys, the staff, I mean, just that alone, like you guys were like, yeah, we'll throw your book party here. And we had ghost faces. Yeah. Yeah. And it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just nuts. You guys, I mean, it, it was just a, you guys, it was a ultimate hospitality um, service for the, the patrons and for the, the DJs. And it was just a great room, a great club. You guys were the best. So it's crazy. Give you guys another shout out. Thank you, man. I, and I totally forgot that Ghostface performed that night. Ghostface was there. I was just looking at a book there, and he signed it. And I was like, oh, my God. I forgot. Yo. So, yeah. so this project, would yep. you say that it was as long as in accumulation as it was to the Boombox collection? Or is this something that goes far beyond that? Way, way beyond that, yeah. Okay. The, the Boombox is like, you know, it was 30 or 35 radios, and I had a pretty good you know, I had pretty much my whole hit list covered right. with the t-shirts. It's kind of, it's a little bit more endless of, uh, you know, you're, you learn about new t-shirts all the time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, also they were just as tough to find, you know, a lot of the ones that I was really after. And, uh, it started around the same time, you know, just being a, a real fanatic, hip hop fanatic and, uh, wanting to, wanting to be a fan, wanting to wear a t-shirt for my favorite group, you know, and, and yeah. not having the access. And then, and, uh, kind of that planting the seed to where I was just always looking for them, you know, just like if I was at the record store, I was always asking you ever get any t-shirts, you know, if I was talking to anybody who did promo, you got any extra t-shirts, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, and that collection was, it was the same sort of thing though, where uh, when the internet came around, it was able to grow a lot faster just with for access. Yeah. And also at the time they were so cheap and people didn't, didn't know what they were they were you know it wasn't like people thought they had any value so it wasn't a big commitment to pick up tees at that time and uh it's another collection that just grew and snowballed and then next thing i know i'm like geez i got a lot of these things what am i going to do right 
And uh, the idea came around to do a book. And it was like, well, yeah, if I'm going to end up selling them or whatever, might as well showcase all of them first, you know, mm -hmm. put them all together as a, as a cohesive collection. And that was how Rapti started. Man. So it, aside from this, inside of this book are not only your collection, but I believe it's, there's a few other people's collections in here as well, right? Oh yeah. 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 Well, when I, when I started shooting my tees, um, I realized that there was a lot of gaps and, and I started reaching out to friends and other collectors, mm -hmm. um, from New York, you know, some, some vintage dealers like Procell and Kirk from for all to envy out here in LA. Yeah. And then, uh, a lot of Japanese collectors, I kind of put out the call in Japan and just said like, I was over there DJing and I just said, anybody with t-shirt collections, like come to the studio on this night, it's right. going to be set up, bring your tees, let's shoot them. And like, you know, 15 guys came, someone with garbage bags full of vintage hip hop tees. And uh, it was really cool. So it's so a ton of collectors, probably, you know, about half the book is mine, you mm -hmm. know, more or less. And the collection's grown since then. So I'm sure I'm, I'm slowly starting on a volume two. Um, you know, it's just a work in progress. Those books are, uh, are a passion project. You know, it's not a, yeah. you're not, nobody's buying houses selling books on <laughs> Yeah, it's about t-shirts but uh no but it's, fun it's, but it's fascinating because the thing is that's a that's a cultural item you know yeah. so like uh the, the the fact that we had the ability to wear our favorite artists on our on our backs or in or on our chest in order to establish ourselves as fly when we were in the streets just meant something mm -hmm. you've had the opportunity to put a lot of these inside this book and in the meantime you've had for photographers like joe conzo who was like godfather of hip-hop photography <laughs> in, in in essence of it all it's beyond dope and you've turned this into a brand to the point where it's now overseas like i've, I've seen that you you put it over it's in japan now yeah it's a, it's a full brand in japan so it, it exists as a brand only right now in japan um and it's a full line you know they release seasons and do tons of we've done collabs with joe conzo and ricky powell and uh we've done beastie boys tees and big LTs and all, you know, all kinds of stuff um, yeah. in Japan. And it's kind of, it's exclusive to Japan right now. So it's kind of a special limited thing. Um, but yeah, uh, Joe is the man and Joe is, uh, I hope he gets more recognition for how important he is as a documentarian of, of that era, because it's, he, he is underappreciated outside of the hip hop community yeah. knows about him. Um, you know, as well as a lot of that, there's a, a lot. Chimo Du is in the book also. A lot of great photographers contributed work. Jeanette Beckman, um, Ricky Powell, Glenn Friedman. So I was really, I was really proud to have, you know, their photos in there and appreciative. Right. And that's, that's just somebody else that's basically taking a, taking upon a, himself to be like, okay, I'm just hanging with my boys and I got my camera. And he's just doc I mean, he's documenting everything that's happening, and it turns out that this is landmark beginning of hip hop, the birth. Yep. Yeah. And really, no one else is doing it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's other there's a few photos, you know, here and there of Cold Crush and of that era, but nothing like his. I mean, he's in the high school. He's basically a student, you yeah. know, taking the photos and going to going to high school with these guys. So, right. Yeah, he's not a professional uh, photographer a at that time. He's he's, he's like a legend. Yeah. He just sold a bunch of prints. Uh, he did a, like a limited run of prints, but you know, hit him up and, and you know, follow so you can buy a print because I think he's one of those guys who there's no question 
his photos are only going to become more and more important historically, you know, as time goes on. Uh, Shout out to Joe. He's a man. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the nicest guy ever. You know what I mean? Like one of those dudes who, you know, doesn't have to be as nice as he is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I always appreciate it. That's true. That's true. Now, fast forward to right now. Of course, we're in the middle Mm -hmm. of a pandemic and everything like that. And it seems like just like, you know, DJing has its like evolutions. I remember when, of course, vinyl went to CDJs. I remember when uh, crates went to Serato. You know what I'm saying? Now, like, we're starting to, it, it's it's a weird time because there's a lot of live, live stream DJs. I know D does it a lot, and he's very successful at it right now. And it seems yeah. it's almost you can like, say that. Yeah, man, <laughs> D is like, it. D is beyond crushing it. But yeah, yeah. but it, it seems like like there's there has to be something uh, like a middle ground where DJs are going to have to find some type of footing where where there's it's easy to fit because DJs are not going to go anywhere. It's just more so what's going to yeah. take place. Uh, we're in a weird time, you know. I mean, um, the guys who enjoy live streaming who get something out of it. Um, it's great for them. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I don't get much out of live streaming, um, right. other than interacting with my friends and, um, you know, my, my wife and I live stream for a while. We do a party called home friends, which yeah. I, I had a lot of fun doing that party. Cause we were just playing music we love. And, um, the good thing about it is you're not, you know, you can play pretty much whatever you want when you live stream and people can choose to tune in or tune out. But I definitely, you know, for me, DJing has so much to do with with responding and reacting to the, yeah. the, the room, and uh, and trying to and DJing for a, a dancing people, you know, and trying to you know have a flow. So that's really tough when you're streaming, and um, I don't get the same enjoyment out of it. I enjoy playing a lot of the the music that I don't get to play in the mm-hmm. clubs, but um, you know, it's different. And when when DJing comes back, which it, I think it will, you know, it might be another year, you yeah. know, until it, the clubs really come back, but it's going to be different for sure. And I think, uh, I think the DJ rates are going to be pretty decimated. I think we lost a lot of clubs. So there's going to be a a rebirth and it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of that because before COVID there was a decline happening um, in the clubs, you know, and we were seeing less, um, less residencies, less DJs having, nights mm-hmm. you know it was more like kind of a rotating cast of djs in the clubs right um which is a little tough because i you know i i always think in, in clubs people who go to clubs really want to kind of know what they're going to get you know what yeah. i mean they kind of they like the little consistency to know that like i'm going to go i'm going to hear this style of music it's going to be played somewhat you know this way and i'm right. going to have a good time um and it was good for DJs too, because that's kind of how you could differentiate yourself. You know, like you could find your lane, you know, oh. like our party on Mondays at Murmur had a, had a distinct feel to it and a yeah. distinct, you know, vibe. And some people could, could crush that room and other people struggled, you know? And I think um, you guys did a good job of kind of whittling that down. to like your core yeah. of, of people so that the crowd knew what to expect. Well, our, our biggest thing was that we didn't, we felt like parties didn't need to be forced. They had to be organic. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You, yeah. If you tried to force a party, it was going to look lame. You can, you mm-hmm. can, there's a such thing as doing too much. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? For sure. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so we always felt like, okay, it, 
the DJs basically their their position within the party is to pretty much read the room, elevate the entire the the, the whatever the vibrations are within the room, mm-hmm. they act on that. Yeah. And, and then they bring it to the surface and then everybody is just gelling, having a good time, yep. whether they are dancing, whether they're drinking, whether they're conversating, it's all going to mm-hmm. happen organically because it's a vibe. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, yep. <laughs> and, and that's the thing that people are going to miss and they know who to go to, to get that back. I hope, I think so. You know what? We're going to see. It's going to be an interesting year. You know, I mean, that's all I can. Yeah. I don't know what, I don't know what to expect. I think, you know, a lot of DJs um, are going to be looking for a new job. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think all of us are exploring our options, you know, like, you know, we're all expanding our horizons, which is probably a good thing, but um, we'll see what the club landscape looks like after this. It's true. Uh, It's going to be a whole new, it's going to be a whole new world. and, And we've seen with um, streaming, you know, there's been a real consolidation also, you know, like, you know, about a couple DJs now, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, and, and uh, we'll just, we'll just see how that translates when hopefully knock on wood, if when clubs reopen here, you know, hopefully not too long from now. It's true. Um, but it also proves that you guys aren't one dimensional. There's a, there's a lot of people that maybe seem that way and just like, kind of like, went under the rug mm-hmm. but then there's a lot of you guys we come to find out you know so much about you in the meantime you know we would when seeing basically you had your wall of boom and Sophie's, we would have never never thought that if we hadn't known you you know what i'm saying so right, it was right. like and then like to to see other people like evolve uh, throughout the game like basically like when we're talking about like like with d even though he's live streaming and everything like that like he's almost turned into like this brand <laughs> like this, I mean, he's a celebrity. Like, yeah, like, he's a full like, celebrity. like, it's, straight yeah. up interviews and everything. Like, not only was he a hip hop legend before that, and all that shaking hands and kissing babies has turned him into a a brand, which has been which has been cool. And the thing is, a lot of DJs have taken the opportunity. Like, I was already like this. I I didn't have to like uh, yeah. be behind the decks in order to showcase who I was. I mm-hmm. outside of here, I'm a totally different person. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the hustle is the same, you know, you know, for guys like D, you know, I mean, it's been the same grind, the same hustle. So it makes sense. You know, it, like he just hit his stride basically. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it was in the, it was in the stars for mm-hmm. that to happen. So, um, and you know, you, you, you hope it happens to like cool, humble people, you know, right. <laughs> right. that's the main thing, you know, you just want it to be people who, you know, who, who put in the work and, so I think everybody's happy for D and, and it's been really fun watching like Clark Kent. I mean, I've been able to see sets from a lot of my favorite DJs who I never got to see sets from. So, yeah. you know, um, it's been cool. Stretch is on a lot and, uh, yeah. you know, caught a few sets. Now, does that, does that like, uh, because you've toured, like traveled so much and everything like that, does that like cause like invisibility to like see a lot of good music that are out there or see DJs within their craft doing something doing so you mean because I've been traveling yeah because because you've been traveling like have you yeah yeah you're like man I would love I would love to see that person but I can't because I'm like I'm all over the place and everything so the fact that you've gotten a chance to sit still it's got you've Mm -hmm. gotten to like basically like see everybody's skill set 
and you see them playing stuff they want to play. Yeah. You know, they're not doing an event where or, or working a club where they might not be able to play the stuff they like. I mean, when you're when you're in the grind and you're traveling like that, you're just exhausted. And I do a really bad job of going out. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. on nights off, like yeah, you know, that's part of the job that I'm not necessarily great at. You know, like being out and just socializing every night and hearing and drinking and whatever. Right. So it is it is a an easier way to do that. And the exhaustion. I mean, I definitely feel the, you know, tr- that travel schedule was kills you it really beats up your body and Mm -hmm. so the beginning part of quarantine i was like man i feel like (laughs) like a new person i'm like getting i'm going to bed at a regular hour i'm not waking up at four for a flight you Uh know or um it was great and and now i'm like all right let's get back to work right (laughs) for a minute there the the travel yeah the, the travel is one of those things that you want it before you're before you become successful, it's all you want is to be a traveling DJ. And then when you're in it, you're like, you would just give anything to just be able to uh-huh. stay home for two weeks. But uh, Sit my ass down. No, no <laughs> complaining about that. You know, knock on wood, we get back to that level because I think we'll all have a new appreciation Word. for it. How's those uh, yearly fishing trips in Montana, man? I mean, I went this year. I barely went. But uh, fishing is... is uh, you know, I, I just get real into, I tie my own flies and it's fly fishing. And, and, uh, I got out for about five days this year, which was much needed. Uh-huh. Um, I was trying to go with, uh, my father-in-law and my wife usually go, but with COVID it just got too, too intense. So I I'm just, sure. I just skipped town on my own for a few days and, uh, yeah, went to Montana. Um, that was cool. I wish I could have got out more. You know, my plan when I came to California was like, Oh, I'm going to be so much closer to, to rivers and nature. Mm-hmm. So but then this hit and it just didn't, Damn. you know, this year is a wash. Yeah. Man. Birthdays, celebrations, holidays is a walk. Just scrap it. <laughs> 2021 is a brand new year, brand new president, brand new everything. Let's, uh, let's focus on the future. Yeah. Thank God. And I, and, and I know, I mean, we've had our talks about what's, what happens in the world politically and Jesus, yeah. I, I, I'm in a better state of mind though. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the, just waking up, I mean, st- he's still he's terrorizes still us every single day. You know, yeah. finds a way to terrorize us. But yeah. uh, you know, there's a, definitely a sigh of relief that that maybe we can have a little bit of normalcy. Just just not wake up uh, in, in a panic about what today. You know, would yeah. be nice. Yeah. So, he's I'm like looking he, forward to that. It's like a provocateur, man. He just he tries to start your day off with some bullshit. He's a nightmare. <laughs> he's a nightmare of a human being. And, and and uh thank god that he's on his way out hopefully we can we can pull him out of there yeah man <laughs> <laughs> anyways hey. we won't get into politics on this channel. no no <laughs> that that's only a smidgen but hey ross man look i appreciate you doing this with me this has Yo, been i appreciate you man you've been you're the, one of the one of the realest in this business since <laughs> day one, so anything you need look man i i i felt like when i started this that i needed to talk to people that I connected with and I, throughout just life and everything. And I always see you like basically like persevering and doing things out of the ordinary to just push the envelope. And that's just always been cool with me. And I felt like I needed to reach out to you and ask you we were like, bro, I need to, can I just talk to you for about an hour? Cause I feel yeah, like, man. you know what I'm saying? You're interesting and I want to hear it. <laughs> 
this is the time. If you have hobbies, if you have interests, just dive in. You know what I mean? And and really uh, get into it. You know, that's what I've been doing, getting into everything, gardening, you know, whatever it is, just dive yeah. in it. And, you know, you're going to, doors are going to open if, you, if you're passionate about it and you, you know, you're really into it like you, you know what I mean? Like I, I tune into your thing. I don't, never know what you're talking about. When yeah, I tune yeah. in. You know, it's, it's all uh fantasy comic, yeah, yeah. But, I, but, but no matter what, it gives me a good feeling to see you talking about something that's important to you with people who are like minded. Yeah. And, and I feel like you just keep doing it and, you know, just like this doors open, things happen. It's true. Uh, you find your community and next thing you know, there's opportunities and, and a more fulfilled life. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been fun to watch too, to, to, to see it. I like tuning in and I'm just like, I'm always, <laughs> lo- I'm always lost, you know, hey, but, uh, but I like, I, you know, I like hearing about it. Anyways. It's okay. I, I like hearing experts talk about the things that they're, that they're uh, passionate about. That's always a, uh, that's what's up, man. Thank you. That's a good feeling. Hey, man. Well, hey, it was good. It, it was good to see you. <laughs> I appreciate you. you too. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out hopefully, uh, you know what I'm saying? As much as I do now and see exactly what you're doing. Uh, I All hope right. that, I hope this bullshit ends. Cause I do definitely want to see you behind the deck. Just tanned it up. You and so, me both. You and me both. Yeah. But other than that, make a little, make a little, do- make a little dough. Start yeah. paying some of these bills. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? We can't sit <laughs> sit on our thumbs for for this long. That, that, I mean, the hobbies. I mean, it was nice to see that boombox. You know, like collection kind of pay off. I always anticipated that that, that when that happened, it was going to be like some side cash right. that I could then yeah. <laughs> invest in another. Collection. Oh, I, could, I could tuck this I didn't away. Think it was going to have to be like mortgage money, but uh, you know, that's 2020 for you. So we we keep it moving. Oh man, <laughs> we adapt. You know, that's what it is. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I glad it happened when it did. That's all I can say. <laughs> Very glad. Absolutely. Very glad. Hey man. Yeah, man. Well, it was good to see you. You right. too. And 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 I really really appreciate the talk, man. This has been this has been cool as hell, man. Thank you. Anytime. All right, man. I'll see you online. Facts Project. We out. Yo, appreciate it, man. <laughs> no doubt, man. I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely, man. Thank you again. Uh, anytime. You got it. Yeah, man. Have a good rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Peace. Easy.